Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 132. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Welcome back to Thread. Thread is a leader's Bible study. We go through the scripture looking for examples of great leadership and even pointing out a few mistakes in leadership. And we're looking for these so that we can improve ourselves as we seek to exert influence and be God's agents for change in our home, at school, at work, wherever God has you, where he wants you to exert more influence. Well, today's thread is really, uh, I think it's a, a dramatic one. It's a big story from the book of Acts. And it's about what to do in those times when you realize that God has set up a moment with a person or with a group, and he wants you to witness for him. Uh, when I was 18 years old, I had a summer job, and I was, I was working at this company, a uh, big company, and we were sitting in the cafeteria, and suddenly uh, somebody asked me, uh, why are you going to seminary? And I started telling about my testimony. And when I got to the part and I said, and Jesus changed me. And when I said the word Jesus to the three or four people at my table, the entire lunchroom went silent because I hadn't said it, you know, as a cuss word uh, or in, in exasperation, but I'd said it with reverence and just some power in that name. And the whole room got silent and everyone turned and they kind of faced me and uh, I just wilted under the pressure. You know, I lowered my voice and kept talking. And then when it was over, I got thinking, you know, ah, you missed your chance. You know, if this, if I was the Apostle Paul, I would have stood up on the table and said, you know, give me your ears. I want to tell you my story. Uh, I just was not ready for that. You know, I was, uh, I knew I had to better prepare myself for moments like those. I'm a pretty deep introvert, and I just wasn't expecting that much social pressure. And especially, you know, it just came all at once. I wasn't ashamed of the Lord. I just wasn't yet prepared to testify to in a non-church setting so spontaneously. But I began to ask God to help me grow, and I've dedicated my energy to stretching myself in that way because I do want the world to know. I want them to know about my Lord. I want them to know what the Lord has done for them. Now, fast forward six years, and after that time, I was pastoring in a small church in Jamaica, and someone else, I would never have thought to do this, decided that we should participate as a church in a street preaching outreach. Well, this was my first time to ever stand in a street and engage people with the gospel. And again, I didn't do so well in my own estimation. Uh, shyness played a part. But I did enjoy the experience, although it horrified me. I saw the potential in moments like that. I mean, yes, you look like a religious fanatic a bit, but you are out where people are living, and you get a chance to intercept them and engage them for Christ. So I learned one thing about those kind of sermons is you can't have long points or have the kind of discussion where one thought leads to the next. Uh, you got to have a series of five-minute little sermons, because people are walking by, and that's your chance to grab and engage them. And some people become so skilled at this, and they're really amazing to watch. Uh, I was in England, and there's a park there that's famous as a place where you can stand up and say whatever you want to say, and there are all these people giving speeches. 
and I've seen Christian evangelists out there just engaging people that walk by and so good at it. You know, they do it every weekend. And, you know, today's thread is the story of a sudden evangelistic event that was organized by God. And it's going to show us what to do in moments like this. So if you've got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 25. We're going to be from verse 13 down till Acts chapter 26, verse 32. And if you hear bird noises in the back, I don't know what to do about it. We've been invaded. The field around our house has been invaded by um, doves and pigeons. And they are, I guess, mating season because they are singing a big song. So you'll get to hear the tranquil sounds of doves in the background in this episode of Thread. All right. Let me give you the backstory for this passage uh, for those of you that are just joining us. Paul has been arrested two years ago on unclear charges. And instead of you know dropping the charges, they've kept him in jail for political reasons all this time. And they're not even sure what his charges are. Exactly what did he even do that's wrong has not been made clear. The uh, first governor that had him was named Felix. And then Felix was sacked and he's been replaced by Festus. And Festus has renewed Paul's case. Paul had been sitting in jail for two years without a, you know, no date being set for him to be able to move his trial along. And Festus comes in, and two weeks on the job, he right away sets a date. But he is a politician, and he's trying to do the Jews a favor, and he's going to transfer the trial to Jerusalem. And Paul can already see that this thing is rigged. They're going to find him guilty. He's going to be sentenced to death. And the mob is going to be delighted. And so he says, forget this. I appeal to Caesar. And so now it's been a few days later and Herod Agrippa, who is the king over northern Palestine, he's the great grandson of Herod the Great who tried to kill Jesus. So Herod Agrippa and his sister Bernice have come to visit Festus the governor and Festus arranges an event to hear Paul speak. It's kind of a CYA face-saving matter for Festus because Paul uh, pulling the case away from him and appealing to Caesar is a show of no confidence in Festus as a governor and as a fair judge. And it's an embarrassment to him. And so he is trying to make it look as good as he can. And so he tells Herod, you know, I would have let him go. I don't even know really why he's in the system. And I just need to know what to write about him. So just listen to what the guy says and then help me figure out what letter to write to Nero when I send this guy up. So he sets an event that Paul is going to come and speak to King Herod and to Herod's sister Bernice and to Festus. And Festus decides to make it a big public Affair. So he invites a distinguished crowd. Acts chapter 25, verse 23. The Roman military leaders are there. The local government and regional governmental leaders are there. Civic leaders and prominent businessmen, they've all come into the, the hall to hear Paul speak. They've come to be with King Herod, to be near him, to be with Bernice, see her and all her glory, see Governor Festus, and they come in with all this pomp and ceremony, but they've also come to hear this interesting political prisoner, the rabbi turned Christian 
Paul. And what an opportunity for Paul, because this is not a trial. There's nothing at risk as far as his trial goes. He's just got this chance to speak to a king, a governor, Romans, and the core group behind the city government and the business community in Caesarea, the capital city. And all these people, by today's terminology, they're all unchurched. So it's just, a you know, for an evangelist like Paul, this is a great opportunity. So let's look at what he does, and let's analyze a master evangelistic communicator. All right, the first thing Paul does is to establish a connection with the crowd. It took me a while to figure this out as a communicator. Because, you know, my content is so important, and it's the message I think God wants me to deliver. And so I just want to go right to my content. And I just didn't understand fully the human element involved in communication and the importance of establishing a connection with your audience. Because if you don't do that, their minds are on a 100 different things. They're going to tune you out, or they they might even have a presupposition against your content or against you. And so the very beginning of any communication is don't even think about trying to say what you came to say. Connect to them as persons. Find some way to build a bridge between the two of you. Lower the, you know, the suspicion level. And if you can, you know, pull your audience to you in some way. Spend a few minutes doing that. And master communicators always do that. Well, Paul's key focus is on Herod, but he's also aware of all the others in the room. No, what they're going to do is sit like observers, kind of like watching a courtroom drama on TV. And Paul is going to try to reach them, but his main focus is going to be on King Herod. He'll never get another chance to speak to him. And he wants to speak to Herod about his soul. You know, it's impossible to get near people like this without... God causing special circumstances. And so Paul establishes communication and connection with Herod. He says, first of all, I am happy about this opportunity. I'm not nervous to be around you. I am happy to be with you. I'm happy to explain myself to you. So he starts off positive. And then he says, and so Paul starts off positive. And then he says, I want to let you know I respect your expertise in all things related to Judaism. You know what you're talking about. You're aware of our culture and of what's going on here, and I respect that about you. And then he has a call to action. I want to ask you to focus on me, and I want to ask you, King Herod, to listen patiently to me. Wow, he's already asking for something. Okay, so establish communication, establish connection with the people you want to talk to. Okay, now, second thing, weave everything you want to say into a story. When you're giving the gospel, your testimony is your most powerful message. Actually, I think it's even more powerful than scripture verses because your audience may not regard the scripture. They may not respect the scripture or believe in the scripture, but you're a human and you're standing there. This is your personal story. Don't let it become about the doctrines or about our point of view versus their point of view, our religion versus their religion. Get away from all that. 
focus down on the fact that it is a personal story. You met Christ. It changed you. You're a witness. That's your primary role. But that's also something no one can dismiss. You're an eyewitness. And so for the third time in the book of Acts, Paul shares his conversion story. He did it in Acts chapter 9. He's done it in Acts chapter 22. And he hits these points with Herod. He says, all right, I was raised a strict Jew. I was raised a Pharisee. You know all about Judaism. His, your wife, uh, I mean, uh, Bernice, there is a, they're Idumeans. So there's a Jewishness about the Herod family, uh, in a sense. And so he says, you know all about this. And I was raised a Pharisee, very strict. Second thing I want to tell you is I hated the same group Christians. I understand why people hate them because I hated them and I did everything I could to destroy them. Oh, this is genius. I mean, he's not just starting with himself as a Christian. He's putting himself in the place of his entire audience saying, I don't know what you guys think about Christians, but if you hate them, I fully understand that point of view because I hated them. I was just like that. Uh, I did everything I could to destroy them. And then he gets, you know, you got to have tension in a story and it, and you need conflict. And so Paul brings it to his turning point, the Damascus Road experience. And he says, my turning point was witnessed by others. They also saw the light and they were thrown to the ground by its brightness. And that's in verse 14. And he says, and then I had my own encounter with Jesus. That's verse 14 and verse 15. I had my own encounter with Jesus. And Jesus said, called me by name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's the first thing he said to me. The second thing was, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. When you plow with oxen, to protect yourself from the oxen's back legs just hauling off and kicking you because they don't want to be strapped into that harness. They put these uh, prickly sticks, they're hard, sharp things, behind them so that if they ever kick back on you, they're going to hurt themselves. And it's just a message to the oxen, don't even think about doing that. You're going to hurt yourself. And so that's Jesus' message to him. Why are you persecuting me when you kick me you just hurt yourself. I mean, Paul has killed people. He's had people put in jail. He's made them blaspheme. He's gone through, he's got this roiling hatred in his gut toward anyone that loves Jesus. And Jesus says, that only hurts you. And then he talks about the calling that the Lord had given him in verse 16. Jesus says to him, get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you for this purpose. Number one, I'm going to make you a minister. And number two, I'm going to make you a witness. So I'm making you a servant and I'm making you a witness of all the things you have seen and of things that I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from Jewish people and Gentile people, but I now send you to the Gentiles. And he talks about his calling. Uh, So basically, you know, Paul turns to the crowd and says, and God has turned me to Gentiles just like you guys. I'm a Jew. You know, we don't we don't really like you all. But he told me that he wants me to focus my ministry and focus my witnessing on Gentile people. 
And in verse 18, he says, okay, this is what God has sent me to do among the Gentiles. Number one, I am here to open their eyes. Let me stop on that point. You have to understand, if you witness for the Lord, it's not just you with your words trying to convince people, you know, to turn to Jesus. It's bigger than that. This is spiritual authority. It's a spiritual war. And you have to, if you're going to be effective as an evangelist, you have to come to a place in your, in your understanding of what's going on. And you have to raise your own faith level and believe that as you step into the, the zone and you square off with this person you're witnessing to, that God is going to give you power over them. You're going to get spiritual authority over the darkness that holds them back because they're not just, uh, you know, stuck in their own sin. They are bound in spiritual darkness. There's a spiritual power from the devil that has clouded their minds that, that makes them blind to spiritual truth. And you have to come to believe that you have When you speak the gospel to people, you have authority and God is going to give you the ability, not just the authority, but the power, the ability to do it, to open up their eyes, to make them be able to see the truth. Your words will have that kind of power and that kind of anointing. And you have to believe that. And if you believe that, you're going to see an entirely different kind of result than you've ever seen before. So Paul says, God sent me to Gentiles to open their eyes. Secondly, to turn them from darkness toward light. You have to believe also you have the ability from God through your words to turn them, to turn them just like I'm taking them by the shoulders and I'm turning them 90 degrees, 180 degrees. I have the ability to do that from the Lord. Number three, he says, I've come to turn you from the power of Satan and turn you to God. Now, why does God want me to do that? Because he has a goal for your life. He wants you to receive forgiveness for your sins. Paul always lets the conversation be about your sins, about our personal guilt and our personal, uh, we are standing trial and we have been found guilty. And he wants that to be crystal clear. You have guilt that you need to have forgiven, and Jesus will do that for you. So number one, God wants to forgive you. And number two, God wants you to become a full part of his family. Now, Paul has said a lot just in a story. You know, he hasn't yet gotten into preaching as far as here are the points I want you to hear. He's just telling a story. He said, this is what God sent me to do among Gentiles like all of you. And now he tells them what they need to do to be saved. It's not enough to deliver the message and say, this is what God wants. You've got to tell them what they have to do. It's not like, so that's my story. No, finish it. You have been called to action by God. Tell them that. And verse 20, Paul tells them how to be saved. He says, number one, you must repent Turn around. You got to change the way you are, change the way you think, change the way you live. You must turn, change your mind, change your direction. You have to do that. Number two, you have to turn toward God and start moving in God's direction. And number three, you have to do the works that demonstrate repentance. This is not just a mental thing. You know, the whole Roman road thing, 
has been built out of Paul's words in Romans, and it has become in the modern church this completely mental approach towards salvation. Uh, you know, you just believe and think and say, and there's, there's no doing. And the same Paul that we get that from is right now fully explaining what he tells people after he tells them what God has done for them in Christ and what God wants to do in their life. He, he tells them what they have to do to be saved. And the first step is repent. You've got to repent, you've got to turn to God, and you've got to do those works that demonstrate your repentance. You know, you're not earning salvation, but you are proving your seriousness in repentance. You are really turning from your allegiance to darkness, Satan, and sin, and you are turning to God in the real world, not just in your mind. This whole mental salvation has set us back so far, and it's made so many people uh, believe that they've uh, made a big step for God. You know, that's, that scripture scares me to death where Jesus says, I will say to them, I never knew you. And that's only possible if you have deceived yourself in some way. So this is the, this is the Paul who wrote all the epistles that the modern approach is being built on. And I just think they've lifted one little, you know, they've lifted a few verses out of his explanation of uh, how to declare the gospel, and they've just centered down and said, so that's all you have to say. And it's not all you have to say. Repentance is the beginning of the, the altar call. It's, that's how it was with John the Baptist. It's how it was with Jesus. That's how it has been throughout the Old Testament prophets, and that's how it was in the ministry of the Apostle Paul to Gentiles. It starts with repentance. So after you've told people what they need to do to be saved, point it to Jesus. Make sure you are keeping the focus on Christ. Christ suffered, verse 23, Christ suffered for us. Christ rose from the dead. His resurrection gives light to us. And then, fifth thing, you call for a decision. At this point, Paul is pointing things toward making a decision. You need to repent. You need to turn. Jesus has come to give light to you Jews and to you Gentiles as well. And Festus feels the pressure. Remember, it's his event. He's the governor. It's his house. This whole big group he invited. And now there's conviction settling on the crowd. And Paul has turned this into a soul-winning moment. And and Festus, as the host, is very uncomfortable with the way this thing has gone, and he interrupts for the sake of his crowd and yells, You're crazy, Paul. Too much study. It's driven you mad. Ha, ha, ha. And Paul engages him directly. He says, I am not crazy. Verse 25, I am speaking truth, and I'm speaking truth that is clear and it is reasonable. And then Paul turns his attention back to the king, who he now focuses on intently. He says to him in verse 26, Herod, you know the news of the resurrection of Jesus. You're a local, and this story has been moving around for 20 years now. And then in a very bold moment, man, he makes it personal, and he calls for a decision, even in this room, but it's his only chance. He'll never get to do this again. He speaks directly to Herod to bring him to a decision moment. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the word of God? And he holds it. And Agrippa won't say it. He won't answer in front of this crowd. And then Paul says, I know that you believe. 
And then verse 28, when Agrippa does speak, he says these words, Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Now, that, those words have been interpreted a lot of different ways. One of them is just the way I read it. You know, that in sincerity, he says, you're very close to persuading me to be a Christian. Other people say that he is, he is like, um, he's saying something like, really, this quick, you're going to make me a Christian? Uh, but whatever he meant by it, he realizes that Paul is trying to move him to belief and that Paul wants him to accept. And he knows what he has to do if he wants to accept, and he knows it's all about Jesus. So Paul's mission has been accomplished. It's not my job to get you saved. It's my job to present it clearly and call for you to make a decision. In verse 29, Paul widens it to the whole crowd. He says, I wish to God that you and all those gathered here today were just like me in all of this, except for these chains. You know, clearly, these chains are unjust. This whole group, is they bear part of the guilt. But his focus is, I wish all of you could know Jesus and know this life. At that moment, Agrippa stands up and walks out. Bernice, Festus walk out with him. And as they leave, they talk among themselves, why is this man even under arrest? You could set him free today, except he has appealed to Caesar. Now, you may one day find yourself in the company of the great ones. And let me give you five quick things to remember. If you ever get a chance, like Paul just did, to evangelize big shots. I'm not going to labor on these, but just, just five things to keep in mind. Number one, if that ever happens to you, keep in mind it's about God. It's not about you. And don't be tempted to work for any kind of personal advantage. I had a friend one time that got a chance. Uh, we had a a tragedy in a friendship circle of very, very high and influential people that we were ministering to, and one of them broke his neck, and we we had the chance. It was impossible to see this person. He's a billionaire, very political, but now he was in trouble, and he was seeking help. So we began to reach out to him and to his family, and a friend of mine went and visited him and was not able to keep himself from after ministering and praying for the man, trying to pitch a business idea to him. And, ah, it was just such a tragedy because it, it lost the moment, you know. If if God opens a door for you to be in the company of some big shot, you need to understand God did that. It's not about you. Don't be tempted to do anything for yourself. Focus on the Lord and be his representative alone. Second thing, assume you will never get another chance to speak to them. So don't think this is going to be one of five conversations, and I'll just say this today. You better go for it. Number three, you should assume that they are open and searching spiritually. Otherwise, why would God have created the circumstances that put you in front of them? So don't judge by what you think about them. If they weren't in some way seeking God, he wouldn't have you in that place. So assume that they're listening. Number four, speak as a reasonable person, but speak as a representative of God. You are there. It is strange that you are there. Let it be strange. Represent God and speak. Uh, Harold Bredesen was a man in my father's generation who had a ministry of speaking to big shots. And he just had chances. God would open doors all over the world among elite people for him to go in. And he came to Manila while we lived there 
and uh, I got to talk with him, and he he had gone to this very rich, influential man, and he was invited into the man's home, and the guy knew, you know, this guy's here as a representative of God, and there's no other reason to have this stranger in his house. And Harold Bredesen said, I spoke to him, and this is what I said. That's what I felt to say. I look at you, and I see a tiger. And, you know, the man likes that idea. And he says, but I see a tiger in a cage pacing about in frustration and inner turmoil. God sees that, and he sent me to you to bring you encouragement that he is reaching out to you to bring you to know Jesus and find the peace that you are missing. You know, that's clear. Either the man will be responsive or he will not be responsive, but he won't forget the exchange that he had. If you have your moment, you listen to the Lord and you speak for God. Number five, call them to repentance. Don't call them to welcome Jesus into their lives and give them even more specialness. Tell them God is reaching out to you He's making the first move now. Turn away from sin and turn toward God. Just the same presentation Paul made, because that's how the new life starts, not by promising all the blessings. There is no salvation without repentance. Jesus said it, Paul understood it, and that's why the whole world isn't automatically saved by the blood of Jesus, which is powerful enough to save every single human. You got to preach repentance and call men and women to repent and God will give you evangelistic fruit. That's a fantastic lesson for today, the Apostle Paul letting us see how he did evangelism. If you haven't checked it out, please go to medialightonline.com. We've been working so hard as a team. We've got, a, I think, a very deep pool of resources available for you there. It's free. Join the site. Get on the mailing list and, and let us stay in touch with you. If you enjoy the podcast, please uh, give us a remark on the iTunes store and leave a comment and a rating there. I would really appreciate it. You can just look it up, Thread with Chuck Quinley. And if you want to contact me directly, just use my email, chuck at quinley.com. Expect God to use you today. See you next time on Thread.